Just a quick note before we start the show, we've got two things to share that we want everyone to know about. First off, if you hadn't heard, the Elixir ecosystem survey is out. We encourage everyone to fill it out. It's a community project and all the data will be made publicly available once collected. The survey is open through August 11th and the results will be revealed at ElixirConf. So get your response in before the cutoff, which again is the 11th of August. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Okay, and secondly, we've added transcripts to all the episodes in Season 4. We expect there may be some errors as the transcribers are not Elixir specialists, but the good news is that our website, where the podcasts are hosted, is a public GitHub repo. So if you spot any typos or inaccuracies, just submit a pull request and we'll happily update them. We'll put a link to the repo in the show notes as well. All right, that's it for special announcements. Now here's the show. Hello and welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore, Maryland. My name is Justice Epen, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Ostrich, and today's episode is very special. It was a live show called The Council of Wizards that we recorded with a number of guests earlier this summer. Today, you'll hear from our conversation with Andrea Leopardi and Renee Foring. I hope you enjoy this Council of Wizards edition of the Elixir Wizards podcast. So, Andrea, maybe you can introduce yourself for the audience and let them know who you are, what you're working on, what you're best known for in the community. Sure. My name is Andrea. I'm part of the Elixir core team. I think that's probably one of my best credentials in the community. And I've been in the core team for four years and a half, around four years, I think, can't remember, but around four years. And I've written a few libraries like Heretix as pretty widely used and Mint together with Eric from the core team recently. So those are, I think, my most known things. And I speak at a lot of conferences in more normal times. So that's also <laughs> met a lot of people through doing that too. Well, this is kind of like and, a conference. Yeah, I guess. I didn't prepare anything. So no. <laughs> it's like a panel at a conference. It's like a right? panel. Nobody prepares. And <laughs> just riffing. Very winged. Yep. This is great. Not having to prepare is great. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of being unprepared, so there's this great backstory behind this that maybe Eric can tell because he'll probably tell it in a funnier way. But last night I reformatted my computer and I'm rebuilding my dev environment from scratch. And so my question to you is if you had not a brand new developer, obviously, like I've been developing for a while, but someone who had a brand new machine and you were going to encourage them to try some tooling, what would you recommend? One of the tools I use the most is uh, Hub. You know, it was like oh, a wrapper for the. Now they made the official CLI for GitHub like GGH, I think it's called. So now I use that, but that was a very nice tool. I always do like a hub clone and you don't need to give the whole path. You just give the like repo name or the owner slash repo name. So it's like tiny, tiny, tiny things. And then another thing that I really like is Z shell. So now I don't have time to do any of this anymore. But when I was a young developer with lots of time and lots of passion to build my environment, I did stuff like set up my Z shell pretty well. Luckily, it still works. So I just kind of live with that. I have nice stuff. Like, for example, I see a lot of people type history, enter, or like history, space, pipe, space, grep, when they want to search something. So that's crazy. I have like a plugin for Z shell that I could have type something. And if you press control, P to go up, it searches searches that string in the whole history and it just 
goes through commands that use that string. That's like probably my number one favorite thing on my computer in the terminal at least. Well, that's what I'm looking at right now. You just reminded me to pull Hub down because I love Hub. I use Hub yeah. all the time. There's another one called FZF, I think is. Yeah, yeah, Fuzzy Finder. Yeah. yeah, I use yeah. that for Bash. If you do Control R, at least in Bash, ZSA, yeah, yeah, you, can. you can hook this thing in and it's a lot fancier. Yeah, I think it's probably similar principle. Yeah, super useful. And then uh, now I really don't like whatever floats your boat. I'm not a guy. I'm not very <laughs> focused on uh, developer tooling and this sort of stuff anymore. Now whatever I can just works. Are you a Vim, Emacs, or VS Code or something else person? <laughs> I was all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I used Vim for a long time and I became very good at it. But then I couldn't stand Vim script, so I wanted to customize it a lot. But Vim script is really weird. And this was before Neo Vim, so now I don't know if it's better, but. Then I moved to Emacs, and then Emacs definitely you can write a lot of Elisp. So I did that, but then I couldn't stand that it's horrible to look at. Like we're in 2020, <laughs> and this thing is just horrible. It doesn't have pretty icons. It doesn't have pretty colors. Like I wanted prettier editors. So I started using Atom, and then it feels like kind of it was abandoned a little bit. Maybe VS Code feels like took over completely the user base of Atom. So I just switched to VS Code. But at that point, I'm not a pro user of VS Code. It does what I need. It does good Elixir integration. So, and I became a mouse person. Like I went from being very good <laughs> at the keyboard to just reading a lot more code. So now I just prefer to scroll down and... The manager phase. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, shots fired. <laughs> no, but it's true. It's true. Like, this is so then once you become a manager, you start using the mouse more? I don't know about manager, but definitely when you go higher up in the responsibilities and having to review more code and having to just like look at more stuff instead of just cranking code, then you definitely read more or write less, right? So, so I want to tune into whatever conversation is happening on the Twitch, but I also oh, want yeah. to ask you, Andrea, what are you working on right now in Elixir land? Are you doing any core development? Like is 1.9 really the end of Elixir? So there's just nothing to do or... <laughs> 1.10 came out a month ago, so definitely 1.9 was not the end. And 1.10 is not the end either. I mean, 1.11 is going to come out. It's going to come out a little bit later because we decided maybe that for the best to not bombard people with software updates during this phase. I mean, we don't have a lot to work on in Elixir feature-wise. And even bug-wise, it's pretty stable at this point. So there's not a lot of work to be done in general. So the time that I spend in Elixir is not a lot, and it's mostly on reviewing code and tri triaging issues, stuff like that. Personally, I'm working on not much open source right now. I'm mostly focusing on Mint until now. That was my big project. I'm happy that kind of got shaped. I'm happy that this being used by Finch, this new HTTP line, that's sort of where I'm putting my hopes on. And then I'm writing a book that's about testing Elixir. That's public information, I think. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been going on for quite a while, yeah, but we're approaching. Is approaching that with the Jeffrey Matthias? Yeah, that's with Jeffrey, yeah. Co-writing with Jeffrey. So Jeffrey's that's where I'm... Yeah. Oh, yes? I think so. I think he was season one. Is that wow. right? Here? Yeah. Season yeah. one feels like a long time ago. <laughs> so how's the book coming? How far along are you? Close to beta, I think. So pretty good point in the book, I think. I was told by someone in the know that if you offer to review the book, they will sometimes ask you for a blurb after the review. So this is my initial <laughs> offer to review your book. And I promise it will be a good and 100% accurate review. 
Sounds good. I'll keep that in mind. No, that's appreciated. It's not that easy to find a lot of reviewers, but we'll see. Justice is looking for the easy way to get on the back cover of a book. I really want to be a blurb guy. Like, I just can't believe how I've never been asked to leave a blurb on a book yet. I really want to do that. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you review the book and give a really good praise, we can put you in the praise section too. Yes. <laughs> so actually, the long-term objective is to do so many blurbs on so many books that eventually I can make a book of my book blurbs. Okay. Oh, nice. Blurb, blurb. many more. Okay. And then all the blurbs on the cover will just be myself. Will it have blurbs from other people? Oh. You know, maybe yeah. it'll have blurbs from everybody that I blurbed for. Oh, that's mind-blowing. So we have How to Code Live is asking, RSpec versus XUnit, go. That's bold of you to assume that I know RSpec. <laughs> 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 no, I, I used it. I used it. I'm just kidding. What am I supposed to say? Definitely XUnit. <laughs> XUnit, but because I don't like magic, XUnit, XUnit has a bit of magic, but I mean, I think they're like necessary evil amount, like less than that, and then you're just going to write. It's not going to be very helpful, but more than that, and then it's going to be a mess. So I think it has really good balance. I really like it. I like that it doesn't let you shoot in the foot very easily. It doesn't let you overcomplicate <laughs> things very much. It's like pretty bare bones. You want to write more complex stuff, you write it on top of it. Most people don't. That's the good news. So they use it very vanilla, and I think it works very well. Yeah, I remember, I think when I first started in... I guess it was around Elixir 1.2 or 3 maybe is when we started Elixir and there was no describe blocks. And then just as they popped in and then you can't nest them. And I remember there's a few people who were upset, but oh, yeah. I, feel like, I feel like that's a good thing <laughs> from oh, it some is. of the artifacts I've seen. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. And the, the fact that you have, when you have the setup, setup blocks, you can pass like a little function name instead of passing a setup block or a list of function names. It makes it really easy. You just do all the setups in functions and then you say, oh, this describe block should be set up with this, 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 and this setup functions. You know, And usually that's the use case for nesting more, like, right? Like nesting setups is not really to, for documentation or organization. I don't think that's... So I think that's the right compromise. Like, I mean, uh, macros, for example, like having a cert to be a macro, it's really nice because you don't really have to think about oh, what should I use, like... Assert equal, assert greater than, assert this and that, like you just use one most of the time. And so that's also good. I like it. So we got How to Code Live is also asking, are you going to go no. into testing live view in the book? TMI. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Buy the book to find out. <laughs> no, it will be in the table of contents. If we do it, it will be in the table of contents. So you'll know before. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure what the literature on live view is going to be. I'm not sure what live view is going to be itself. We're kind of watching, you know, it's a very early stages of the product. I don't know that we have patterns on uh, testing live view that are established and that we feel confident also advertising and kind of pushing on the community. So I'm not sure yet. We will see. Yeah. Writing in stone of sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in general, for a bunch of stuff, one of the hardest things is making sure that the patterns that you're advocating for are really good patterns and they're not just your preferred patterns, or at least that's something I always struggle with. And with LiveView, like, I have no idea yet, you know, so <laughs> I personally didn't even have a chance to use it for anything other than playing with it. So we'll see, we'll see. Jeffrey's co-writing the book, so maybe he has ideas in this, but we'll see. Well, we'd love to hear from Jeffrey again. I think that it might be overdue to have him on for another episode because he was 
pretty interesting, I think, if I remember correctly. I think he was probably our biggest episode in season one. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but... Yeah, I don't remember the stats off the top of my head, but I have been talking with him recently, so maybe we'll get something brewing. <laughs> yeah, I work with him now and co-write the book with him now, so... Awesome. I will not listen to that podcast. Can't listen to that guy anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I love the guy. I love the guy. We like to ask people for their hot takes and rants. And so do you have anything that's like top of mind that you've just been wishing that you had a platform to rant about? No. Go off, Queen, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I make a very, very big conscious effort to not be negative on stuff. So otherwise I would have a lot of stuff, but I can't think of anything. I don't want to open the Pandora box. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can, could think of any, something, but I can't think of anything on the top of my mind. One thing I will say, I don't like computers that have slow interfaces and every computer as of today has slow interfaces for everything. Like, I don't think I'm very fast, but when I open Alfred and I do like a man space, you know, or spotlight and I write some stuff, I'd always miss the first two or three keystrokes. Like should be fast software. Same with the iPhone, you know, like when you don't have face ID and you swipe and you type in your passcode, guarantee the first number, it doesn't catch it because it's animating that it's showing this thing and it doesn't catch the first number. This is like definitely like things that makes me want to rant for hours. But this is just, if you're writing interfaces, please, please just make them fast. My prediction is that in 10, 20 years, we'll see a Tesla OS come out. And that will be like the new app. Uh, we have one client who consistently tests whatever app we're writing for him on his Tesla to make sure that it works. We'll need to get a Tesla. I think we've asked yeah. about that and Yair has not agreed to it yet. I will subsidize it if I get to be the keeper of the Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, slow interfaces are definitely a problem. Uh, Sorry, Todd is saying that Temple OS is the future. Oh, sure. And he also says Tesla won't exist in 20 years, which is a true <laughs> Yeah, that's a hot take. Yeah, well, you know, those Tesla shorts have really worked out, right? The Tesla what? <laughs> the Tesla shorts. I don't know what they are. I miss them. Like when you short a stock, it means you basically are investing in the chances at the stock. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm horrible at yeah, so it's, companies and investing in stuff like that. So. Todd's saying this isn't a financial show. I guess Todd was a <laughs> Tesla short. <laughs> I have very long Tesla and it's working out for me. But... Elon likes to move debt around. Yeah, well, don't we all? <laughs> he likes to move rockets around, Todd. So, yeah, I think the interface problem is huge. I think a lot of people have been noticing it. It's become noticeably worse since Electron became a thing. Yeah. yeah do you think iOS and Android are going to switch to Electron? It's going to be all yeah, React Native, not. but just React, I guess. <laughs> I hope not. I mean... I'm fine with, I don't, I don't write code for mobile apps in any form, but I'm good with Java and with Swift being the only two real things that people use. If they have to write mobile native apps, I mean, and I would rather have an operating system that supports one of these two languages now that to have, like, I'm good. Those are good languages. They do their job. That's my take. I'm not saying that we should only have Android or iOS. That's probably bad, but those languages are fine. And we're in the age of transpiling and compiling to the same bytecode or stuff like that, right? We're on an Elixir show and that's a language that compiles to another language. So there's always room for improvement in that space, you know? And Android has Kotlin. Swift is a better Objective-C, I think, right? So yeah, this is a good question. 
How to Code Live asks, what are the chances of us seeing Elixir running on mobile? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? First question. <laughs> I don't know. Very close to zero, my guess is. Maybe if we had like an Elixir to Wasm compiler and then... Yeah, can we Wasm. get a Lumen target to ARM? And then you can use up all the Samsung phones are all eight cores and all that fun stuff, right? All those Android phones. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's just not, I think, I don't know. I don't think Erlang was thought to run web interfaces. I mean, you've used Observer, for example. Like, so it's like, well, it was written for phones, right? So it's just oh, the yeah, next I guess. step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically true. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, maybe with Wasm or, or something, like we'll be able to actually run some Elixir code through the browser in, on mobile phones, but I'm not sure that's, I mean, for the sake of doing it, sure. I'm not sure that's going to be useful in any form, but. Can we put that in a feature for Elixir 2, a feature request? <laughs> sure. Elixir on mobile. Yeah, sounds good. We can use it to mine Bitcoin. I love the conversation going on right now on the stream chat. People put in on that. We can use it to mine Bitcoin. I think it's actually, yeah. somebody wrote a Bitcoin. I think so. There's an amazing amount of cryptocurrency stuff going on in Elixir, and it's it's so surprising to me. There's that, I don't want to call him a kid, but I remember when he came to ElixirConf, he was like 19, and he had written an Ethereum clone in Elixir. Mm, nice. and it was, I think it's called Elixirium. Oh, nice. And I was like, wow. <laughs> My hero. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Do you have any cryptocurrency interest, Andrea? No. Non-zero. No, I just know what we're talking about, but I'm not invested in any form in this. No, never took the time to learn about it enough to be able to feel like I know what I'm doing if I would be buying some cryptocurrencies. And then I feel like I missed out and now I feel like I have too much backlog to learn and to get into this world. So I just dropped it and I... We just had the halvening, which if you don't know what that is, it's when Bitcoin miners... Every four years or so, the number of Bitcoins they get for mining a block gets cut in half. The graphs are pretty startling. Like every time that happens within like two years, the value is just 10x. So just throw that out there. <laughs> Good to know. So I just read an article the other day that was talking about someone who in invested a ton and then investment firm went belly up because... Bitcoin lost like 35% of its value in a month or something. I don't know. Just They invested in a mining company? I don't know. It was some financial. I don't know these words. I don't pay attention either. <laughs> <laughs> I like to watch news that Bitcoin is failing. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Schadenfreude. <laughs> That's a whole thing. <laughs> Well, we are coming up on the time where we will be joined by another guest. I want to give you, Andrea, the time to plug yourself, your company, your book, any shameless self-promotion, any asks that you have for the audience. Now is a good time. Okay. It's not prepared for this either. I don't feel like I have anything to plug. Maybe my book, our book, of course, the book that Jeffrey and I are writing, that when that's going to be out, that's going to be nice to plug. But it's not out yet, not even in beta, so <laughs> it's going to be soon, but keep an eye out for that. That's what I will say. Go check out Finch. Go check out Finch, yeah, Mint. or Mint or Finch. Give it a try. Mint has been pretty stable, so I'm happy with that, but Finch is in the very early stages of development, so definitely, like, we need to bottle test it. That's going to be a long process and, you know takes years yeah, to make a library, like, really, really, really robust, so. I just set up a new Finch. In one of our projects, we were talking to Stripe and I used Finch instead of, I think Mojito was the one I used before. Mm -hmm. And then before that was 
HGD poison or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so far it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it works for sure. It works. I'm just like, I want a lot of people to use it because you know, those edge cases that you get from when you do hundred thousand requests per minute, or maybe you do a request yeah. to a server that does something weird. And only some people in Uganda will find out because they have some conventions different than I'm just making up countries or, but I know that that happens that sometimes people say, oh, but this is blocked in Russia, for example. I don't know. That sort of stuff. It's good to test on a lot of big user base so that we catch all the things. And just, yeah, last shout out this to my company it's called community.com. We have a messaging platform for community leaders like celebrities. So if you've ever had one celebrity say, hey, text me at this community number. Maybe you saw this on Instagram, a bunch of music artists are doing it. And that's us. We do kind of messaging at scale for community leaders and celebrities and artists and all sorts of people with communities following them. All right. So that's it for our conversation with Andrea. Next up is our talk with Renee Foring, author of Credo and friend of the show. It's been a long time, Renee. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What have you been up to since we saw you last on the show? I'm doing Credo, naturally. It's like what Andrea said with the one thing I'm probably most known for is Credo. And I'm also doing the Elixir Weekly newsletter, which had its 200th issue come out, I think, last week or the week before, which is pretty amazing. Not because yeah. of my personal achievement by any means, but this has been going on for four years and it's kept me sane through some episodes of my life where work has been crazy or private life has been stressed in general. And it absolutely amazes me because when suppose nobody uses Credo, I could still get some credit for it. You know what I mean? In CV form or something, because this amazing thing I built, but with elixirstatus.com and elixirweekly.net, which I both run, if nobody would use them, then that would be pointless. Mm. And it's also a great place to get the pulse of the community and how it's actually grown. Because I remember like four, five, six years ago, we all thought, oh, will this take off? Will this become the next Ruby? Many of us thought. Will it become the next Ruby or the next Dart? <laughs> Absolutely. Or the next Dark. Yeah. It's also a thing. Well, I hope um, we didn't become the next dark or dart but <laughs> do you think we might be on our way to becoming the next ruby i think so at the conference where i got this wonderful hat somebody told me i think even it was jeffrey that we're in a niche of a niche and that's not wrong it's very special also in terms of how diverse the people are regarding their technological background and their educational background we have a lot of misfits like myself who never learned properly how to code and who are self-taught but we also have these computer scientist people who have crazy ideas and actually go through with it which is one thing that i always admired about the community that you have all these ideas which are front and center as opposed to some communities where the people are front and center and where you have this celebrity culture and also that People are not only talking about their great ideas. I really don't want to take pity on any community, but there are some academic communities around programming concepts that are not used in the real world, and they have this aura of self-importance. Oh, I, I think they would appreciate your pity, actually. <laughs> Did you just subtweet Haskell with that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we just lost a subtweet. <laughs> 
right at this moment, I am building a JavaScript desktop app using Electron, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I won't raise my voice. I'm going to take this personally and ask why. Because I get money for it. Uh, I see. You see the nature of that window that's paid for by JavaScript at the moment. But I also have the next Elixir project in the pipeline. And I hope this will be cool. Because well, to come back to your question, I think Elixir is special in that there is a certain type of problem that it solves so well. And there's nothing that can touch it for that kind of problem. But Elixir is not a good hammer for everything. Is Ruby a good <clears> hammer for everything? Probably not. See, this I'm, is the I'm, point is that like my impression was that Elixir solves the problem that Ruby solves, but it solves it better and to such a degree that it would make sense as like a replacement for pretty much any new startup looking to build web applications. Yeah, I would say definitely the web applications, but like if you're just doing a tiny little script, I would probably still use Ruby versus Elixir. Like so I think it's definitely a different space. So, for example, uh, if we look at Python or Python or whatever, I don't think that Elixir comes close or will ever come close to Python in terms of scientific computing, just because the libraries are so rich and they have such an advantage in terms of mind share in the scientific community, because right. there are lots of chemists and biologists, etc., who can't code in the traditional sense, but they can write the Python scripts to crunch the numbers that they need. But you're probably right. When Ruby is used as a backend for mobile apps or as a delivery mechanism for web apps, that's probably a use case that Elixir serves better in the long term. So since we were asking Andrea about this, what do you think of the possibility of Elixir on a phone? Well, the one thing you noted is WASM, and I think that seals the deal. But then you also have to take into account this hammer and nail argument. <laughs> so I think with Lumen, we might actually work on front-end stuff things with Elixir. And that's I think Boyd showed that with Scenic, that it's a really good paradigm for front-end and component-based systems, which uh, trigger some kind of action and then... Half of your user interface crashes, but the other half doesn't. Yeah, I've actually tried to replicate that in JavaScript because that's the nice thought <laughs> that you say, oh, this button is dead. But I don't know. With phones, it's very important to be resource efficient and not drain the battery like you start the app and then you have five <laughs> minutes. Uh, especially if they're doing Bitcoin mining. <laughs> What's new in Credo? Is there anything exciting that you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. So since I was last on, I think Credo 1.2 or something was scheduled to come out. And now we have Credo 1.3, 1.4, currently working on 1.5. And we do now have Hackstocks, which is amazing, with guides to guide people in their beginnings of their usage of Credo. We now have parameter validation for the config, which is amazing. <laughs> that you know if you misspell a parameter to a check that you get told oh that's wrong so one of the things that always bugs me with credo and it's a very tiny nitpick i wonder if you can guess this but yeah, uh, I, guess do... I guess it might be a feature of one five awesome because you generate a new config and then it says oh i've disabled map into and lazy logging and then you go find it in the config and you do false <laughs> 
So, so what would that be like a global config, but just for you or how's that going to work? No. So the thing is you want to have a config that basically says this project uses this set of checks point. Right. And today that's not the case. So today, because I thought that was clever, you take the config in the current directory and then traverses the tree back up to your root and collects all the config on the way up. And then it recursively merges them. Mm. So while this is not necessarily super bad, that means that because of at the end of this chain, there is the default config from Credo itself. So you cannot see which checks you actually have enabled and which don't have enabled solely from the config. So when you developed this, you thought the implementation was clever and now you're recognizing that maybe it doesn't do exactly what you want at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's okay to be proud of your work, but you also have to reflect upon what what simply did not work. And I think what worked amazingly well with Credo is the sentiment and what it stands for. And this is something that I already found in the Elixir community and was able to contribute a small part towards. But then again, there are so many big and little things where I had to be convinced of making it work better. For example, for a very long time, we did not have these comments which let you disable Credo for the next line because I find those basically horrendous <laughs> because then you litter your source code with control config statements for linter. But at the end of the day, okay, that's probably what sometimes you would prefer over rewriting your code just to accommodate Credo. And there are other things where I simply was wrong and that's completely fine. Can you talk a little bit more about that objective that you think that you were able to contribute to around, I think what you were saying is around kind of teaching people best practices. And can you talk a little bit more about what your vision was in the beginning and how that's evolved as Credo has become pretty much the default solution for this in Elixir? Yes, I think the point is, so linters are tools and linters are not our masters, so to speak. And I encounter so many young programmers who have started their career in an environment where a CI system basically linted all their code from the get-go. And especially when those programmers write most of their code at work and are not one of those crazy misfits who also develop through the entire night, then there's a skewed perception that this linter always has to be correct and that it also gives a sense of security, maybe a false sense of security, but security nonetheless. And that was something I really disliked about linters while I saw the value of these tools to give me a broader base for my decisions, which I would have to make as a human. Too many people were treating us as, as something almost religious, like, no, you can't do that. That's not in our rule set. And I wanted to build something that is more along the lines of another project of mine, which is called Inch, which was a Ruby project, which tried to approach documentation analysis in a way where it says, okay, an undocumented object is nothing bad, but I want to tell you it's undocumented, but there's no judgment here. And I always thought in the Ruby space where Rubocorp is the predominant linter, that we would need something that's a bit softer for code linting as well, which can provide a richer analysis and a deeper explanation to be able to empower the human being to make its decision. I think Eric has some feelings about Rubocorp. Is that right? I do not like it. <laughs> so I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show, but can you tell us why? 
It's so mean. Also, it's wrong about single quotes. Biggest issue. <laughs> what do you mean? I hate them. Just always use a double quote. I don't need to think about when, if I want to turn this into an interpolated string, I don't need to swap my quotes. And that is one amazing feature about Elixir that I don't think I've ever mentioned is that it's only double quotes. <laughs> so there's just no choice. <laughs> yeah, but in yeah. Elixir, single quotes are simply another data type, which is also yeah. something that you have to learn at some point. And then you interact with some Erlang API, which expects a char list and you give it a binary and then you spend half an <laughs> afternoon and lots of coffee discovering, oh, single quotes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty sure that was like the first thing I learned writing an Elixir, the most challenging first thing to learn. I'll give you an example without throwing anybody under the bus, but in the company I work for at the moment, we recently had to build a rule for the ESLint rule set thing, which is the JavaScript equivalent to Rubocop. And we decided in the team that we wanted our imports, which are basically aliases from Elixir just in JavaScript. It's not a correct comparison, but suffices for this purposes. And we wanted to have them in a certain order. And we wrote a rule for that. And the person who wrote the rule made the linter error message import order wrong, exclamation mark. And I hope I have contributed to the fact that most people in the Elixir community would consider that a bad error message. Yeah. So we have some more questions. So what are some must-have rules and some never-have rules for a linter? So I'm very pleased that we can now deactivate all the checks that the formatter covers. Credo 1.4 also brought tags. So you can now exclude a certain tag like formatter from the analysis to just say, okay, I'm using the formatters, therefore I don't need these checks. And with 1.5, I also plan to detect the dot formatter.exs file to just deactivate them by default and so that you would have to explicitly re-enable them. I learned this in the very, very short space of time where I wrote Elm that I cannot live without an auto-formatter and the moment that Elixir got one was one of the happiest moments in my professional life. <laughs> I was discussing with Chris a couple of years ago at ElixirConf EU where he said, yeah, I also like it, but I have my qualms with one or two of the rules. And I was like, no, doesn't matter. If it's not like one statement per line or something crazy like that, I don't care. I just want to press Command S and be done with it. Are you talking about Keithley or McCord or some other Chris? McCord. Do we have any other? Yeah, we do. We have Chris Freeze. <laughs> Probably other Chris's in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to name drop somebody. <laughs> you know, well, that one. Name drops. <laughs> I kind of want to talk a little bit more about this. I know that it's not Electron related, but I want to know if, since you're writing something in Electron right now, is writing something in Electron as awful as running something in Electron? <laughs> so I guess you're in an environment that was never intended to be used for this purpose, and you have to be more careful what you do and what you don't do. The app I'm writing is replacing an app solely written by students who had basically zero work experience using all the best practices from all the blog posts by the other 20-year-olds. And <laughs> that it's hard. Writing a working app in that space is actual work. And I think TypeScript is actually a good development in a bad situation. So... Yeah. 
it's a blessing. I've built JavaScript apps for most of my professional life at some point or the other because I always was the janitor guy who had to do the maintenance work for all the existing projects, was at my former company for 16 years, and I learned basically all of what I know there through the janitorial work and my mentor who, who gave me bits of wisdom like, you can make every project fun just because you have to use Java doesn't mean that you can't have fun in the space. And I think that applies to Electron as well. I want to ask one more question before we give you time to plug whatever you want, which is how have you taken functional programming concepts and then how are you applying them to this project that you're writing in Electron? That's funny because I think when you learn something new, like a new paradigm, you should not try to program Scala in Ruby or Elixir in Ruby or for that matter, purely super functional in JavaScript. But JavaScript is pretty functional. You have functions as first-class citizens. And I think the approach I'm taking is things that benefit from being object-oriented are object-oriented, are classes with instances, etc. And everything that doesn't benefit from it is just a function which takes data as input, not an object, but rather plain old JavaScript objects as in structs. And transforms that really has enabled me to write pretty easy unit tests around, okay, if I get this thing in, then that's the output. If it isn't, then it's wrong. And that's definitely something that I did not learn during my time before Elixir. Well, Renee, we are super glad to have you on the show again, and we would love to have you back for another interview at some point, whenever you're ready. Do you have any final plugs, asks for the audience? Naturally, we have to have this one more thing thing. <laughs> I would encourage listeners to try Credo Master because I rewrote the runner. The module is actually at this moment still called Experimental Runner. And I reconfigured how the tasks are split up and executed based on a talk by Devin Estes in Berlin last year. And for some code bases, you can see a 10x improvement in speed. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Devin's a really smart guy. We really enjoyed having him on the show as well. Name drops everywhere. <laughs> Renee Foring, everybody. Thank you for coming back on the show. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you to our guests, Andrea Leopardi and Renee Foring, and my co-host, Eric Ostrich. And once again, I am a Justice Epen. Elixir Wizards is a smart logic podcast. Here at Smart Logic, we're always looking to take on new projects, building web applications in Elixir, Rails, React, Kubernetes, React Native, all of the cool new tech. We'd love to hear from you if you have a project we could help you with. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So add us on all of those. You can find me personally at Justice Epen and Eric at Eric Ostrich. Join us next time for more special live episodes of the Council of Wizards, a special edition of Elixir Wizards. Mm -hmm.